Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking about the deconstruction of the image of God. And image is a powerful thing because invisibility needs to have representation. Let me say it again. Invisibility needs representation in a wicked world. And the spiritual world does not have representation except through the image. And it's really a powerful thing to understand image. God's image, we're going to talk about today as a concept. Then we're going to talk about God's image and its deconstruction by the world. And there's a lot of things. You know, when I think of deconstruction of images, I think about Nazi Germany. And I think about how when Hitler was finally defeated by the Allied forces and uh, the Axis forces came in, and not only did they defeat him, but then they destroyed all the images of Nazism. I can remember watching documentaries where they pulled statues over. Now, we see that with Lenin. We saw that also with a lot of the, not Nazi leaders, but communist leaders. When the, when the wall came down during the Cold War, when Reagan came and the wall came down, and they pulled down all these different statues, and it was kind of a deconstruction time. And, uh, and there, there were other ones, you know, uh, that, were, that were pulled down, Lenin and Stalin and Marx and all these, and then Hitler and... And, and it's interesting to see how there was a deconstruction of those symbols. Everybody say symbols or images of a particular ideology and philosophy of, of Marxism. And so I can remember seeing pictures where they were taking uh, big old uh, jackhammers to great big huge swastikas on these big stadiums. And they were, they were, ta- they were deconstructing everything that Hitler did. And hopefully we can deconstruct things like Obamacare. And then, you know, certain wicked things need to be deconstructed. And certain leaders and symbols of those things need to be deconstructed. And, and, and universal health care and the way it's presented really is a symbol of a communistic, uh, socialistic uh, ideology. And, and really, you know, just the, the whole corporatism, progressivism, all these things, that's their prized possession because then they work through the medical system to begin to control every part of your life. And, you know, when they, when they are giving you free welfare, they get to, de- they get to decide and, and to delineate and to define what sickness is. And eventually they'll define that Christianity is a mental sickness. They've done it before, folks. And I don't want to get off on this tangent, but let me tell you something. There are things that need to be deconstructed in society. And there are things that the devil would like to deconstruct. And the devil is also in the business of trying to deconstruct Christianity. When we were called, you know, you can go through the Old Testament, and God's people were called to deconstruct wicked images. Go with me to Deuteronomy, the 7th chapter, and then the 12th chapter. And we're going to read about deconstructionism in a spiritual sense. We're going to look at how God calls us to deconstruct those evil images and those evil things that represent other gods, that represents other ideologies and theologies and philosophies. So Deuteronomy, we'll begin there in the 12th chapter, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And it says, These are the statutes and the judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land, which the Lord, the God of thy fathers, giveth thee to possess it all the days of, uh, that ye shall live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served their gods, upon the high mountains and upon the high hills and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves. The groves were totem poles uh, which with fire. And ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods 
and destroy the names of them out of that place. And then in verse 4, and you shall not do so unto the Lord your God. Then he talks about the tabernacle of God. You, you, you don't ever deface it. You don't ever take, tear it down. You know, Catholic churches, they, they used to wouldn't sell their church to a Protestant church because they didn't believe that their theology was right. They'd rather burn it down because the sacredness and the sanctity of what they believe to be. Now, I don't agree with all that, but I'm just saying that's the high regard for the sanctity because a church is a symbol and an image of God. Can I get an amen? It's the house of God. It's the place of God's dwelling. And you can see that all through the Bible, we can go back in, uh, there in Deuteronomy 7, and it says a very similar thing. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and it goes through all the ites, and thank God we're his favorites. <laughs> and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them, thy daughters. Uh, thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. How I many of you know it's all right to take down Hitler's, uh, Hitler's uh, images of him? It was okay to take down the images of swastikas. It's all right to take down the images of those things that are contrary to God. Well, see, the devil's smart enough. He tries to do that. Why aren't we smart enough to do that? And, and you know, we, we can see an example of that. Turn, turn with me over there uh, to uh, the 74th chapter of Psalms. Let's go there quickly. And we can see, and it, you'd almost think, when you read this, you would almost think we're reading a historical excerpt about Nazi Germany. But this was thousands of years ago. This was many, many years prior. And this is ancient Israel. Some people believe this is an account of when the Babylonians came in. And others say they're not sure, but we know at some point in time this happened to the people of God. But it happened again later on in Nazi Germany. And I'm going to read we're going to look at this, and it says, Oh God, why hast thou cast off us forever? Why does thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pastors? Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed thee in Mount Zion, wherewith thou dwelt. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in, in the sanctuary. And thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their ensigns for our signs. That's their, their flags and their swastika type things. The wicked always like to do stuff like that. And a man was famous according to, as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees. But now they break down the carved work thereof at once with axes and hammers. They have cast fire into the sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them altogether. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. We see not our signs. 
Now you get into some other translations. Then I forgot to bring my other Bible out here. I got talks about they try to destroy all the imagery, all the signs, all the evidence that there was a God. I mean, you know, they did that in Nazi Germany. I remember watching the, this, uh, it was a documentary on Nazi Germany. And they went into all the synagogues, and they did every one of those. They burnt them. And some of them that were burnt out, you could see they were burnt out. Then they hung a great big swat. They tore down the cross, and they would hang a great big swastika in there. So you had this burnt out. And the old Jewish people would come in and meet. Half the roof is gone. The walls are charred. Everything's been demolished and beaten to pieces. All the symbols of faith were destroyed. And the swastika was hung up in the middle of this church. I remember it, it just like this indelible branding in my mind. I can remember seeing that picture. And here's these old Jewish people standing there looking up at that swastika in their synagogue that's burned out. Half the roof is gone. Everything's burnt down to a crisp. And it's like the devil said, I'm going to do away with the image of your God. And I'm going to bring a substitute and I'm going to put my image up instead of it. How many of you can see that happening today? But see, today, because of political correctness, it's got to be done in a far more subtle way. See, today we've got to understand that the image of God isn't just with earth, with, you know, with uh, wood and with clay and with metal of silvers and golds. And, and that, that's not the image of God. I'm going to talk to you today about what the real image of God is that the devil's trying to deconstruct in our society today. Because the devil would love to deconstruct the image of God. Yeah. And look what it says over there. There is a tendency for man to deconstruct the image of God so he can construct the image of God that he wants it to be. The false image of God that the devil would deceive them into believing it. And, you know, I find it interesting when you go back to Exodus, the 20th chapter, it is the second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven, and everybody say the word with me, any graven images. An image is a profound and interesting thing. An image is a representation for that which is invisible. Invisibility needs a representative. Let me say that again. Invisibility needs a representative. That's why we have ambassadors who go to other countries. There's people in other countries that have never seen our president, but someone shows up as an ambassador uh, to represent. Now, they can see him on television, but they have not seen him. They have only seen an image that a television screen creates for them. You've never seen your face. You've only seen a mirror, which isn't, everybody say it with me, an image of your face. Now, we've talked about that before. God, it says over there, and we'll turn there to John 1.18, you've, you've never seen God. No man has ever seen God, the Bible says. We've only seen the image of God. And as I look over there uh, in, in John, I'm turning there right now, turn there in your Bibles. This is a wonderful scripture uh, that you may want to look at and underline and think about and dwell on, and receive revelation, get a Selah moment and and get some instruction from the Holy Spirit. It says, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. 
Colossians 2 and 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You can go over there to John uh, chapter 1. I mean, excuse me, you can go over there to John uh, in another place in chapter 14, 7 through 9. And the Bible tells us that Philip said, Jesus, when are you going to show us the Father? And Jesus, kind of in a disgusted tone, said, Philip, don't you know all this time? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the representation for God. Now Jesus is gone and now we're the body of Christ. There's something very powerful about that. We become that visible image of God. We become the representative of God. 1 Corinthians 5.19, we are his ambassadors. We come as the light on a hill. God is light, it says in John. That means illuminators. There's something about the visibility of God. He has chosen. Demons are invisible to our eyes, and they want our worship because they're like Lucifer. Lucifer said, I will sit upon the throne. I will exalt my throne above the throne of the Most High God. I will ascend to the hill of the Lord on the sides of the north, and I shall be as God. And he desired for Jesus to bow down and to worship him on the, in the temptation. And we took Jesus up to the mountain and says, all these kingdoms, they've been delivered unto me. And I can give them to whoever I please. That happened, Adam and Eve delivered the kingdoms to him. That's why he's called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. And so he says, and all that I require of you, Jesus, is that you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no, not going to do it. I'm going to worship the Lord thy God only. I'm not going to bow down to you. But invisible demons, Paul says in Corinthians, that they that worship idols actually are worshiping demons. They're coming into some type of odd spiritual contact with some odd, weird spiritual force when they bow down to an idol because those demons see you bow to that idol and they insert themselves in that place of being worshiped. And they say, yes, worship me. Worship me, I'm God. And they deceive people and they worship Idols actually are worshiping demons. They don't have a clue. They don't know that. The invisible world wants an expression so that it can be worshipped. The devil and demons want to be worshipped. That's why he fell from heaven. And they are looking for some type of intermediary, some type of an image to get you to bow down to it, and a false image so that you will get uh, somehow enamored by that and, and, and begin to worship instead of worshiping Jesus. And Jesus uh, and the Father are worthy of our worship, the Bible says. And we can see that uh, they, they want to circumvent that worship with something else. And so the problem with worshiping and, and finding is that we only really have those images. We have the image of God, which is Jesus. We have, and we're, we're the image of God now. How many of you know in Genesis 1 and 27, God says, come now, let us make man. Let us make him in his own image. So then he created man. He created him in his own image. Did he make them male and female? Did he make them in his image? So we know that God made male and female. The maleness is not the complete image of God. Femaleness is not the complete image of God. It's when you bring them together to that original Adam state where the rib is reunited to the rib cage of the man. Then you have the image of God. Somebody say amen. amen. 
in this church this morning. So we begin to understand why that man, uh, marriage and family comes under an attack of the devil because it is the image of God. And we're going to talk about that in greater detail here in a moment. But the devil wants to deface the image of God. Now let's imagine just for one second that we're all FBI agents. Let's imagine that there's this very, very important person that we have to locate. Now, we've never seen that person. We've never met that person. And all we have is a photo of that person. Everybody say image. image. All we've got is an image of that person. And yet we've got to go into a room of 100 people and try to locate that person because that person's a very important person. And so if the enemy doesn't want us to locate that person, they'll get a hold of that image and they'll Photoshop it. They'll change their hair from blonde to black. They'll change their eyes from green to blue. They'll change them from clean-shaven to a heavy beard and short hair to long hair, and they'll distort their cheekbones and their jawline. They'll distort uh, their eyebrow line. They'll begin to distort, and they'll Photoshop that picture until you cannot identify that person according to that image. And the devil wants to create a wrong image of God so nobody can truly find the true and living God. And he wants to mix it up with a bunch of false substitutes. And he wants to ruin the image so we can't find Daddy, Father God, and the family uh, because the devil has so twisted it out of any type of recognition and recognizableness because the image, everybody say the image, because the image has been changed. When you change the image of something, then what you do is you distort it so that anyone who is seeking that person cannot find him. The devil doesn't want those who are seeking God to be able to find him because he wants to distort and confuse us with all kinds of false images of God. Somebody say amen. And that's why it was forbidden. And one of the Ten Commandments that thou shalt not make any graven images. You really should say that you make not any false images to confuse the people. They came out of Egypt and they wanted uh, to make the, the, the golden calves and they made the golden calves and they said, these, these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. A misassigning of who it was that was their God. The devil loves to misassign to wrongly assign who your God is. Some people find their God to be money, wealth, sex, power. Power, money, and sex. And many times that's what the, the unholy trinity of false gods and idolatry really revolves around. So the devil wants to distort. So what is the image of God? Let's talk about the image of God today. And in Genesis, as we read in Genesis 1.27... It says that God created man, his own image created he, them, male and female. In Genesis 2 and 23, the Bible talks about how he had created Adam and Eve, and he commanded uh, the woman to be called woman because she came from man. In Corinthians, it says man did not come from the woman, but the woman came from the man. The woman was not created for the, uh, the man was not created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. And it talks about not covering your head because the man is the glory of God and woman is the glory of man. And then in Proverbs it says, and the glory of children is their father. You see, there's, some, there's something about that three different statements is very, very powerful and very, very few people understand it. And when you, when you begin to understand that the glory 
of God is man. That's because that's man emanated from God. And then we can say that woman is the glory of a man. That's because that woman emanated and came from the man. That's why it's called not woe woman or woe she. It's called woe man. It says she was called woman because she came from man. Genesis 2.23. You see, the glory is means the reflection and the image. And it talks about how the woman was the... God made man and man was the glory of God and woman was the glory of man. Because there, there was an image. And God created them in, in such a way. And you see, because woman came from man because she was the rib came from the body. How many of you know the body did not come from a rib? But the rib came out of the body, got transformed and reunited and recreated the image of God. So there's some very powerful things when we think about that. But turn to Isaiah. Well, I'll just say it. Isaiah 54, 5 says, your husband is your maker. God says that to Israel. Your husband is your maker. Are you proceeded from your husband? Eve, as a rib, proceeded from her husband, Adam. Now, Adam wasn't her maker, but she came from Adam. Adam did not come from her. When we understand that, it's, it's a very profound thing. So the image of God is a woman and a man. And a woman that proceeds from a man then is brought back and complements and completes the man. Somebody say amen. Man is not complete in that sense without the woman. In, its, in his reflection of God. Because God has male and female attributes. God has maternal and paternal attributes. And so God has these very profound things about him that can't just be understood through a man, but the woman being reunited to the man. Jeremiah 31, uh, 2. So number one, we can say this, that God is a husband with a wife that came from him or is at his side. Rib means beam. Beam means a support. And so the man with his support and his completeness. And so really God is a husband who has a wife. How many of you know that all through the Bible, God talks about Israel being his wife that he was betrothed to, that he made a covenant with, and all these different things, that the image of God is a husband and wife. It is a man and a woman. That is the image of God. That's why there's so much attack on it. Somebody say amen. That's why it's trying to be deconstructed. That's why it, it, it's being degraded, and, and, and there, there's all kinds of ways that the devil is trying to create false substitutes, trying to break up, trying to malign, molest, and pervert what marriage really is. That's because marriage, a man and a woman coming together in completeness and then being able to procreate and have children, that is the image of God. Only God can create human beings. Only we can create human beings. That's the image of God. That's why we're in his image. We have never seen our face. We've only seen our image. We cannot see God's face. We can only see his image. That's why we are his image. Think about that for a second, and it'll sink in. See, an image can only be an image to reflect an image. Somebody say amen. And see, we are the image of God. Christ is the image of God. 
And so we're made in his image. And so that's why we're Christ-like. That's why we're the body of Christ and we represent God in the world today. Because God needs a representative that people can, te- can see, that people can touch, that people can feel and be around and feel the goodness emanating from them. They can feed them. They can care for them. They can heal them and do good unto them. God needs a living, breathing, uh, you know, a representative. Some people need some skin wrapped around their concept of God to be able to understand who he really is. Somebody say amen. amen. See, we, God needs that representation. And his representation, the, the great, one of his greatest attributes is that the image of God is a man and a woman. And it's a man and a woman entering into a covenant relationship because God is a groom. Jesus is the groom and the body of Christ is a bride. Israel was God's wife in the Old Testament. He was a groom and Israel was his bride. And so that is God's image. You can't understand God apart from his wife because that's his life. And you can't understand the body of Christ apart from Jesus. You can't understand Israel apart from Father God because that is his image. That's who he is because the image of God is a man and a woman. The Bible says created he them, male and female. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31 and 32, and we're going to see how this is so important that not only is it a husband and wife, but it's a loving husband keeping covenant with his wife. The image of God is a loving husband keeping covenant with his wife. Boy, that's hard to find. It's hard to find that image today in the culture. Somebody say amen. Jeremiah 31. It's an amazing portion of Scripture. 31 and verse 32, and it says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day, I took them by the hand. This is Israel. Just like on your wedding day. I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. They... They love me. I was a spouse to them. I brought them out of, the covenant, out of Egypt. I took my people by the hand. That was, our, that was our wedding day. And I kept the covenant, but they didn't keep the covenant, God says. The image of God is a husband that keeps covenant with his wife. And all the men said, amen. Amen, about half of you. Oh. Come on, man, do a better amen than that. Amen. It says over in Revelation, not, turn to Revelation. We're going to look at some scriptures there too. We're going to bounce all the way from one end of the covenant to the, to the other end of the covenant. How many of you know the Bible begins with the marriage of Adam and Eve and God and his people and ends with the marriage supper of the Lamb? Somebody say amen. amen. Marriage is an important subject in the Bible. Revelation 19 and 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. Wow. You see, you can't understand God apart from being a husband in a covenant with a wife. Oh, how many know the world would like to obliterate that? You don't need to get married. Well, marriage is just a burden. And, you know, no-fault divorce. Go to Genesis 2. 
Verse 22, and the rib which the Lord had taken from the man made he a woman, not a she-man. That's what we got today. It's scary out there. And brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be what? One flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So a loving, covenant-keeping husband, that's part of the image of God. And all the men said, they did a lot better that time. All right. So God's image is marriage. God's image is covenant-keeping. God's image is the relationship between a man and woman. God's image is a man joined to a woman to create his image in life. I hope you're getting that. It's really important that we have that today because the world doesn't understand these things. And you need to bring representation of that to the world. Genesis 127, number two, the image of God is procreation or family. And so we can look over there in Genesis 127 and 28, and the Bible says, and God created man in his own image, created he them male and female in his own image. And God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish their subdue and take dominion of the earth. So he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. How many of you know God is fruitful and multiplied? How many of you know we are his children? He came to his own, his own received not, but as many as received him to them be Gave he the power to become the sons of God. John 1, 11. So we become the sons of God. And if sons, heirs, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, it says in Romans. And it says now, when he began to pray over there in Ephesians, the third chapter, he says now, under the whole family named in heaven and in earth. God is a family man. Everybody say, God's a family man. God's got a wife, and now we can say God's got kids. That's the image of God. That's the image of God. Family is the image of God. It isn't some creation of somebody else. It isn't some contraption somebody else put together. It's no, thing, it's no invention and construct of man's. It's God revealing himself to us through family. God isn't like us that he has a family. We're like God when we have a family. He's the image and when we understand that, then amazing things can begin to arise out of that truth and reality. We're not only male, but female joined together, but a being that creates another being in its own image. Procreation or family. A being that creates another being in its own image. God created Adam in his own image, and Eve came out of that image and then rejoined that image and reflected him. And now we have children, and they are being created. Now, we don't create them in the sense that we put the spirit into them, but we create their physical bodies and brains through our procreation. So we aren't necessarily the creator, but we are co-laboring in creation. We're co-laborers together with him in creation. That's profound, people. And we're not only just creating, but we're creating little munchkins in our own image. 
Hallelujah. That's the image of God. Creating beings in his own image. That in itself is the image of God. That's the picture of God. That's the recognition of what God's like. It's profound stuff. Malachi 2.15 says that he desires godly seed. He desires for us to raise up kids for his eternal family to go into the eternal state and for him to call his family. God's image is a family as well as a marriage. Wow. Okay. Let me give you a little bit more on family. How many of you know we've got a father and a son? Well, that's two out of three of the family. A father and a child. Father and son and Holy Spirit. How many of you know in the New American Standard Bible version in John 14 and 26, the Holy Spirit's called the helper? How many of you know Eve is called the helpmate? Helper, they come from the same word. How many of you know that El Shaddai means great-breasted one? And that's one of the names of God. Great-breasted one? Huh. Pastor Bill, what book have you been reading? No, it says that's what it means. I've been reading the Hebrew. I understand what that word means. It means like a motherly one. Maternal attributes. There's maternal attributes in God. There's the heavenly father. And then there's the heavenly helpmate, which can't, that proceeds from the father. Just like Eve and the rib proceeded from Adam's rib cage. And so when we understand that, and then there's a son. John 14, 26, it says, I will give you the helper or the helpmate to be with you. And then you go over to Genesis and Eve's called to help me. Jesus is the son. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it goes through and it talks about Ab Adam and, and it goes all the way through the lineage of Jesus. And he says he's God's own son. And then he says that he's the son of David. And he talks about Adam. And he talks about him being then the son of God. And, but Jesus is the son of man. And he is also the son of God. So he's a father and it's a family and it's a trinity. So when you look at the Father, you've got a, a Father. When you look at the Holy Spirit, you've got a mother. And when you look at Jesus, the Son, you've got a child. What you've got is the way God is, and then we reflect that by having fathers, mothers, and children. Everybody following that? And so when we understand that. So, of course, the devil wants to attack not only marriage, but next he wants to attack family because it's the image of God. Remember what we said? They, the, the enemies want to come in and tear down the images. The Nazis came in and they tore down all the images of God and put up their swastika. Well, they're tearing down the image of family. They're tearing down the image of marriage. And they're putting up their false substitute. Two men getting married. Marry your dog. One guy did that in Europe. What a sick thing. And then they're saying, you know, kids aren't important. We might as well abort them. Let's abort our kids. Let's neglect and... And forget about our kids and, and neglect them. Wow. Let's have as few as we can possibly have. How I many know it's godly to have big families? It's God's will to have a big family. Because we don't want to think that God wants to kill us in the womb if we're going to be his representation in the earth, do we? We don't want people to think that God wants to neglect his kids and not have anything to do with them. And we certainly don't want people to think that God only wants a chosen few, a little tiny family. He doesn't want to have very many, just a few of us, you know. No, how many of you know God wants to fill the whole earth? He wants Abraham's sons to be as many as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. That's big family. That's big family. 
Are we reflecting that? You know, I always say this. You, get, you go to Los Angeles or, or San Francisco, someplace like that, and you can leave your three kids out in the street, but your dog is certainly welcome to come in and sit down beside you. Kids are considered a nuisance. Your pet, your dog is considered cool and hipster. I mean, who wants kids around after all? That would inhibit our selfish, our selfish, narcissistic, egotistical self-absorption. And we don't want to inhibit that, now do we? See, quite often it's like, oh, if I have kids, I want to have enough money for me. If I have too many kids, it might pain me to get up at night and take care of them. It's all about me. After all, it's all about me. You see, God wants family. A God with a family, a father with a family is the image of God. Of course the devil wants to take it down. Somebody say amen. How does the devil deconstruct that? Do we have five minutes? Will you give me five more minutes? How does the devil deconstruct that? So, so now we, we understand that we talked about image, and we said now God's an image. God, God needs image here in the culture. We need to be that image for him. How do we demonstrate that image? By being good fathers in covenant with and loving our wives. How do we demonstrate that? By having godly children uh, for him and, and raising children and showing our love towards them. And the image, you know, when, when you get into that and you think about it, you know, the only way, the only way that your kids are ever going to understand how to love God is watching. I mean, it's not the only way, but one of the main ways that they're going to understand how to love God. It's watching dad love mom. The only way, because that's supposed to be an unselfish, lay down your life type of love, according to Ephesians 5, 20 through 30. Come on, somebody. The amen volume is going down. Now get this. And the only way that we'll ever understand, your kids will ever understand how to submit to that God and his sacrificial love on the cross is to watch how well mom submits to that love from dad. Oh, boy. See, now you've went from preaching to meddling, Pastor Bill. I know. That's my business. I got a license to do it. I got a, I'm licensed to preach, you know. So when we understand that, then we, we can begin to get down to serious business, how we can really be the image of God. Yeah. Hmm. You see, loving God and a lay-down-your-life type of love, honor and submitting, and all these things that it talks about in Ephesians 5. Let's, let, let's read Ephesians 5 so you know what verse I'm talking about. Let's read Ephesians 5 very quickly. Let's go there very quickly. And we're going to read that, and then I'm going to finish up with my, my few statements I have left to talk about that. Ephesians 5 says these very profound things, and it's called a mystery. But it says here in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Then it gives a whole bunch of situations, parents, husbands, wives, and then it goes on to children, and it goes even on to servants and, and masters. See, we're going clear into chapter 6, though. But it's all, how many of you know there were no chapter distinctions in the original Greek? But submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, he stands in that Christ office, 
the woman stands in that church office. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything, even as the church is supposed to be submitted to Christ. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, here we go. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Laying yourself down? Wow. That he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. Sought men to love their wives, even as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Boy, isn't that the truth? If you love your wife, you'll get some love back. And see, the only love men understand is respect. They don't have all the ooey-gooey feelings that a mom does. Moms are made with emotions that can relate to little kids. Men are made to not have emotions so they can go out and slug it out with the world and bring home the, and bring home the bacon. Two very different job descriptions, two very different equippings. Somebody say Amen. Come on. Very different. Oh, unbelievably different. That's why you have so much problem with that strange other being living in your house with you. <laughs> but let, let me tell you, if dads don't love, this is what happens. This is the response of that child. If they don't love with a laying down their love type of love, God so loved the world that he gave. Everybody say that he gave. gave. Love is giving. If dad doesn't love my mom, the little child says, he probably doesn't love me because I come from my mom. If dad doesn't love mom, the child's going to think he probably doesn't love me because he married her. That was his choice. He got me. That was his consequence. See the difference there? Probably won't love me. If not my mom, he probably doesn't love God either if he won't love my mom. Because after all, who told him to love my mom? God. And my Bible says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Read it, 1 John 2, 2. Oh, wow. He doesn't love mom, he probably doesn't love me. If he doesn't love mom, because that's a command from God, he probably doesn't love God either. And the third thing that I can surmise from this scenario that I'm watching as a little kid as my parents live out the representation of God all messed up, then if he doesn't love God, then I'll follow his lead. I probably wouldn't need to love God either. And then lastly, the last thing that can be surmised from dad not loving mom so I probably don't need to love mom and dad because they don't love each other and they obviously don't love God. I don't need to love anybody, mom, dad, or God. See, it's very important that we represent God in our homes. It's very important because it'll brand our kids to destruction or it'll brand them to being able to comprehend the love of God and how to rightly submit to it. Somebody say amen. Now, if mom doesn't submit, oh, I... They, Pastor Bill, that service is about over, isn't it? If mom doesn't submit to dad, then dad must not be worth submitting to. Oh, but the Bible says the fathers are supposed to be the glory of their children. You're deglorifying dad when you won't submit to him. 
You're stealing all of his glory and spitting on it, stomping all over it. See, he's supposed to be a reflection of the glory of God. And if mom doesn't want to submit to dad, then dad must not be worth it. And why should I submit to mom if she won't submit to dad? Oh, those kids are smarter than you think. And why should I submit to God who told her to submit to dad and she's disobeying God and not submitting to dad? Because the Bible says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. She must not love God because she's not obeying his commandment to submit to dad. So she must not love God. Why should I? I mean, you tell me to love God. You don't even love God. Why should I love God? See the damage that happens? Can you comprehend the damage today that happens? When we don't have a loving father portraying God in the household, laying down his life for the family, and we don't have a loving mother because love spells, submission spells love to a man. Respect and honor spells love to a man. Sorry that you may not understand that, but that's, that's a sad, sorry fact of the way that it really is. And when you do that, you are teaching your kids... I don't really have to submit to God. Wow. So lesson learned, we don't have to walk in love towards God and we don't have to submit towards God. How many know that child will end up in hell? The image of God is being deconstructed by the culture. The image of God, uh, the culture is trying to ruin marriage, the culture is trying to ruin family, the culture is trying to ruin all these things. Trying to ruin the, the... the, the posture of dad. It's trying to uh, destroy the, the image of father God and masculinity. The, the culture is trying to destroy masculinity. Because let me just say this, you know, if, if, if a woman comes from a man and children come from a woman, if, if femaleness emanates from maleness, you know, the Bible says he's a, he's a father to the fatherless. He never says he's a mother to the motherless. And, it, and, if, and if childness emanates from female and motherness, and motherness and femaleness emanate from, as a rib, out of a rib cage, from maleness. We'll never understand who we are until we understand where we came from, which is masculinity. Oh, I, oh, I just know that's just going to, people are going to love hearing that. But it's father God, it's not mother God. Now, he has mothering traits, just like Adam inside him was a mothering component, that rib. But, but let me tell you something, if we, we'll not understand who we are until we understand where we came from. Yes. 